verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more much, much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. I thank God that we're able to worship in this manner during this pandemic season. I know it isn't ideal, but what a blessing it is that we can still gather together by the power of the Spirit and through modern technology. We can still be a church united together and receive the blessing of worship together, even though it's not exactly the way we want it to be. I still feel so thankful that we have this. We're continuing in our series in the book of Matthew and Isaiah, and specifically continuing in the Sermon on the Mount. This is a huge and important discourse that Jesus gives in Matthew 5 through 7. And this is Jesus describing what kingdom life is all about. And intentionally alluding to Moses as he was preparing the Israelites to be a nation, Jesus is teaching his people how to be a kingdom. The Sermon on the Mount starts with the Beatitudes, the series of blessed statements. He starts his discourse offering comfort to his people. And it is the blessing that the citizens of the kingdom possesses. Jesus then calls his people to a standard of living. They're not to murder, not to lie. Instead, they're to love one another. In chapter 6, Jesus expounds upon how citizens are to live and ends chapter 6 with the call not to worry. And for some of us, that's one of the hardest calls and hardest commands of all. I mean, some of you got, some of you got the fasting thing down. You guys can fast with the best of them. Some of you guys got the murdering thing down. You're, you're good at not murdering people. You may even give to the poor and you may pray like a champ. But not being anxious, not worrying, that is very difficult. Walter Kelly, creator of an old comic strip, once said this, when I don't have anything to worry about, I begin to worry about that. <laughs> Mr. Kelly here illustrates well the problem that so many of us have. We just have a built-in tendency to worry. For some of us, more than others, but in this passage before us today, we'll see that Jesus doesn't want us to worry. In Matthew Henry's commentary, he reminds us that Jesus speaks to his disciples over and over and over again about this issue of worrying. He's deeply concerned about worry because worry, he teaches, is a sign that our treasure is in the wrong place. Worry, Jesus teaches, is a moral deficiency that can be traced to three factors in our lives. One, it can be traced to unbelief. We don't believe that God will provide for us, so we worry about it. Two, 
They can be traced this lack of submission to his lordship or control. We want to be in control of our lives. We know that we're, we're not, but we're trying as hard as we can to be in control of our lives. And so we worry about the gap between what we're trying to do and what we're not sure that we can accomplish. And finally, three, worry can be traced to worldliness. Having our desires set on the wrong things, things that we know we may not obtain rather than set on those things that we know that we cannot lose if we will set our hearts on them. Guys, worry, you see, Jesus teaches, is a spiritual matter. And our reflecting on our worry today gives us the opportunity to ask ourselves, what are the root causes of worry? What does our worry teach us about our relationship with Jesus? What does our worry teach us about our spiritual priorities? If we will address those questions today individually and deeply personally, I promise you there is spiritual blessing coming. If we will deal with that hard matter that worry attaches to us all, and let me say, let me say this real quick, actually, worry is, is not simply a temperamental matter. Some people are more temperamentally inclined to worry, right? They can, they can find a dark cloud behind every silver lining. They're temper, temperamentally tempted to this particular sin, but they can't blame this on just their temperament. This is a spiritual matter, and all of us are affected in different ways. Let me say this very briefly. Don't simply associate worry with fear and anxiety. That is one part of worry. That has to be sure. But today I want you to see that do not worry about anything, that Jesus is speaking about two sides of worry. See, there is this anxiety kind of side of worry. We fret over things. We fear things. I recently read an article about what fear, about fear, about things that we fear as human beings in this society. And he said people fear being in car wrecks. They fear cancer. They fear financial disaster. And we can make a list of a lot of things that we fear if we want to, but that's one side of worry, kind of being paralyzed and fretful over things that might happen, things that are outside of our control, these anxieties that can control our lives. That's one side of worry. But there's another side of worry as well. There's a side of worry is ambition. You see, you may not be wrapped up um, worried about financial disaster, but your whole life may be wrapped up about gaining financial security. In that case, your worry manifests itself not in anxiety, but in ambition. This is honestly more what I deal with. This is more my temperament. My worry doesn't manifest itself because of my temperament like some others might. But it's still there, and it's still real. It just comes out more like, instead of anxiety, it comes out more like ambition. It's, it's when you have become preoccupied, you have become fixated on some earthly reality, and you have lost sight of the greater things. The first things. So just because my worry that manifests itself in ambition doesn't mean it's not just as real, just as much a spiritual matter as your worry manifesting itself in anxiety and fear. Either way, either of those things are ways that we can fall prey to the sin of worry. And Jesus is speaking into both those ways of looking at worry. In this passage today, Jesus is addressing you and his disciples saying, asking you to examine your heart in regards to this. And he wants to teach us two great truths. Number one, that we must wage war on anxiety and worry in our lives. That it's a war and we must intentionally engage in it. The first thing he makes clear throughout this passage is that we must wage war and worry in our lives. We must wage war on anxiety. In verse 25 it says, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life. Here in verse 25, this command of Jesus sounds very close to what Paul says in the book of Philippians. In Philippians, Paul says, do not worry about anything. Both Paul and Jesus are saying that worrying is a spiritual issue and we need not do it. In particular, worry is a manifestation of worldliness. It may reflect misplaced priorities, misplaced ambitions, misplaced loyalties, misplaced trust, misplaced hopes. 
Here Jesus meets worry with a direct contradiction, just like Paul. He says, don't worry. He doesn't say kind of worry, a little worry. He says, do not worry. Don't do it. And let me pause here very quickly to tell you that there's a difference between worry and genuine concern. Right? There's a difference between proper care and concern about earthly matters and a fixation on those matters. Jesus, when he says don't worry, is not saying that we should concern ourselves with like, making a living or having a job. We should be concerned about having a job. The Lord Jesus is not saying that it's improper to, to concern yourself with how you're going to feed your family or how you're going to take care of responsibilities or how you're going to help people who are hungry or who are struggling in times of need. If someone comes to us hungry and they have no means of getting fed or no means of taking care of themselves, and we say, oh, don't worry about it. Be warm, be filled, you're good. Those are the words of the Pharisees. We must concern ourselves with the practical assisting of people. We must concern ourselves with our practical living. Jesus is not saying that we are exempt from troubles in this life. He's not saying, Christians, don't worry because you're not going to have any troubles. That's not what he's saying. It's very interesting, as a matter of fact, that Jesus says that the very opposite. He says, you will have troubles. So he's not saying don't worry because you won't have troubles. He's saying don't worry for another reason. He's saying don't worry because it's an, not because there's an absence of trouble. He's saying don't worry because the providence of God in your life is happening despite your troubles. He's not condemning us or condemning you for proper concern for the future. And he's not condemning you for an appropriate concern for the present. But what he's talking about is the attacking the anxiety, that, that fret over whether God will give us what we need, or that preoccupation that we have, that obsession that we have with things which are temporary, that, that clouds our eyes to what is most important in life. Does that make sense? Do you guys see the distinction here? The root of worry or the root of worry can be found in the problem of trust. We have a trust problem. We don't believe that the Lord is going to provide what we need. We fear that we may be left with something we need so that we worry about it. A lot of good that does us, but we feel better after we've worried about it. Worry is a problem of submission. We see that Christ is Lord, but really we want to be Lord of our lives. We want things done in our timetable by our plans. And we've got wonderful plans for our own lives, don't we? And we're very, working very hard to make those plans come true, but we know that we ultimately can't make them come about because we're not sovereign, and we have a problem submitting ourselves to the Lord's, Lord, His Lordship in our lives. So we worry. We, are, we also have a desire and ambition problem. We worry because we are essentially worldly. We think we need the things of this world. We crave them to the point that we need them. And if we don't have them, we lack and we obsess, and we fret, and we worry. A good question for all of us to ask in our heart is, where is our heart? You see, this is flowing from earlier in the chapter. Basically, Jesus is saying, where is your treasure? What is your heart set on? Who's your master? The Lord Jesus knows that, we, that worry may show that you care more about the things of this world than you do about your eternal fellowship, your eternal standing, and the beautiful intimacy and the growth that's being secured for you in glory. To worry is an opportunity for self-examination and for us to look at our issues that we may have with trust, with submission, and honestly with worldliness. 
And it's a beautiful gift. Guys, here's what I want you to understand. This is not an opportunity for me. I don't want you to hear me coming down. You're like, oh, I'm an anxious person. That means Lawrence is condemning me. No, I'm saying what a gift this is. If you're struggling with anxiety, may, this, may you take this time to then evaluate your own heart and say, where am I struggling with trust? How am I struggling with submission? How am I struggling with worldliness? If you're sitting here today and you see the ambition of your life is focused on security and money and vacations, then same questions are applying to you. Take this as a golden moment for you to say, God, will you make me more like Jesus? Will you look in my own heart and let me look in there and find out what is going on here? See, Jesus knows that worry is a powerful enemy. He knows that the only way that worry can be beaten, the only way this sin can be rooted in our lives is by battling it with truth and trust. I'll say that again. With truth and trust. He knows that our minds must first be brought to the past where we receive this word. We need to think rightly, but not just think rightly, but we need to choose to trust in it. So as we look at this, as we think, as we look at the arguments, we're going to see that Jesus presents his call to not worry, that he presents arguments and why we shouldn't worry in the rest of 24 through 30, 25 through 34. And he uses six arguments that we can use against worry. And when worry is zeroing in on you, when you feel surrounded and absorbed and consumed by it, Jesus gives us these truth statements here that we can focus on and look at as we fight and choose to trust. First of all, he addresses the issue of our priorities. That's the first battle he says that we need to fight against worry. Verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? If you want to battle worry, you must argue your priorities. You must ask, well, life is worth more than what I eat or drink or wear. Which I find it kind of interesting. Those are the three things that he uses, eat, drink, and wear. Like for me to eat and drink makes sense, but like the clothes that I wear, never really, that didn't make quite as much sense to me. But then at the same time, I started thinking about it. And I started thinking about, you know, if you look at our culture, and kind of one good way to evaluate what's important in our culture is looking at what's on commercial during the Super Bowl. What are people willing to spend a ton of money to advertise because they know that you're going to want to buy it? And I was thinking about what was on commercials during the Super Bowl, and I thought, okay, eat, drink, and wear is what I was thinking about, those three ideas. And then I thought, Doritos commercials are one of the most popular commercials. So like, eat, that makes sense. Drink, Pepsi and beer commercials all day on the Super Bowl, right? But then I thought, where? I don't, I, don't think, I don't think I see too many clothing commercials during the Super Bowl. But you know what I see a lot of? Is I see a lot of car commercials. And you know, I, honestly, I don't think it's a stretch to call a car someone that's similar to what we wear in this category. It's a status symbol. It's something that's needed to go out and go about, right? You gotta wear clothes to go out and go about. Nowadays, you need a car to go out and go about. You see where I'm going? I see, we seem to crave the same things. It's worldliness. It's priorities, it's status, maybe even freedom. Whatever it may be, what is your priorities set on? Jesus is saying life is more than these things. And even though all the media, all the advertising says, no, life is these things. The more you have of this, the more luxurious foods, the more luxurious drink, the more stuff, the more status symbols, the more stuff you have, the better your life will be. And Jesus is saying, don't be fooled by that. Life is more than that. Your priorities are misplaced if you find your trust and your hope in those things because they will go away and they will never last and then you're back to fretting and needing, fretting and needing, fear and worrying. Where is your priorities? Second argument that Jesus gives us is found in verse 26, 28. It's an argument of providence. 
He not only says, argue your priorities against worry, he says, argue that the problem of God's towards his creation should alleviate your worries. He says, look at the birds of the air. He says, look at the flowers of the field. He says, God provides for the birds. He clothes the flowers. And these things are just creatures. They're inferior creatures to what our relationship, our intimacy, our love the Father has for us. They don't have a personal relationship with this God, but we do. And Jesus is saying, if God cares for them, don't you think he'll care for you? I love that Jesus is a little kind of tongue-in-cheek here. He's, he's literally saying, like, are you not worth more than a bird? You know, literally, it's like me coming to my son and be like, dude, are you not worth more than my dog? You know, of course you are. You're worth more than my fish. I'm going to provide for you, kid. I feed the fish. I'm not going to feed you. He's saying, you're children of the living God. Intimacy and relationship. Do you believe that? That you're a child of almighty creator God. Will you trust that? And that he loves you. That his providence is good enough for you. Then he goes to a common sense argument in verse 27, which I kind of love this. Jesus goes from like, here's some like argument of like priorities. Then he argues God's providence. And he goes to like a common sense argument in verse 27. He says, worry is unproductive. Doesn't do any good. He says, who of you by worry can add a single hour to his life? He's literally saying, okay, go ahead and worry. What's it getting you? Did you just add an hour to your life? No? Okay, then why are you doing it? Right? He's, I love this. This is kind of this common sense kind of thing. Okay, oh, great. You're worrying. You're stressing. You're freaking out. You're obsessing. Did it do any good? Did it help you out? Okay, now let's just get away from worrying then. Right? These beautiful, like Jesus has some like cool laid out arguments. Which I don't know why I'm surprised by that. It's Jesus, but either way. Verse, then he goes in verse 32, another argument against worrying. He says, we remind ourselves when we give in to worry that we're giving in to pagan thinking. We think like a pagan when we worry, for the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things. He's telling us, don't fall into the trap of thinking like an unbeliever. People who are unbelievers fill their life thinking about and worrying about all these things. Why? Because they have nothing else to live for. He literally says that they are apart from God, but you have God. You have knowledge of truth. You have purpose. So why think like them? Why act like them? If you're married, why are you acting like you're single? You have the beautiful relationship of a loving partner in you. If you're a child who has beautiful, wonderful parents, don't act like you've been abandoned. You have loving parents in your life. This is your reality. Why would you act like everybody else who doesn't have that? Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't think like that. You, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so for you who knows that, for you who has that, he's saying, don't act and think like the other people who chase after things that don't satisfy. You have what satisfies. In verse 32, there gives another argument that we use against worry. And it's pointing to providence in God, but it's fatherly providence. His fatherly love. He said, for your heavenly father knows the things that you need. He knows better than what we knew. He provides for us as a father. And I love it earlier, elsewhere in the Bible, he talks about, yeah, a, a dad's going to give, is, when a kid asks for some bread, he's going to give him a rock, he's going to give him a snake. No. He, do you understand that you as a horrible, weakly, earthly father, you're not going to give your kid something terrible that's going to hurt them when they ask for something good. You're going to love them and provide for them. How much more than is our heavenly father going to provide for us? You know, when my son... And I, I, I'm a little too, I'll be honest with you, but here's one of my weaknesses, is that as a father, I love giving my son stuff. 
I'm just gonna be honest. Because it's true. I mean, like, especially when they're younger, because it's so, so much cuter. You know, like, if you give them, like, a piece of candy or you give them something that they want, they're like, oh, thank you. Like, their eyes get big, and you're like, yay. And they're happy, or they, they cheer. My son, in particular, when he got some piece of candy, he started dancing. I'm like, how awesome is that, right? I want to do that all the time for my kid. Now, I know as a good father, I can't do it all the time. I get that. But I love it. Guys, do you understand how much God loves you? Do you get that? I mean, this is what blew my mind, okay? Because I'll be honest with you guys. I'm a weak, terrible father. But I love my boys. I mean, with everything. I just want to pour out my love. And I'm a weak version, a terrible shadow, a small nothing compared to the way God loves. So that blows my mind sometimes. That blows my mind that God could love me like that. He's our good father. Do you believe that? Do you believe that as a good father, he's going to give you what you need and he's going to let you endure some hard things because he's securing a peculiar glory in you? He says, don't worry. Can I be real with you guys? My boys, when they're with me, I think they're fearless, right? Because they're like, oh, dad's got it. They don't worry about what they're eating next. They don't worry about where, how they're going to sleep or what, what, if they have the right jacket on because they know dad's got it. Do you believe that God's got you? He gives a final common sense argument here in verse 34. He basically says, worry is wasteful. It just distracts you from what you're doing. He says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Why waste your time when we have enough trouble today to worry about? Why worry about tomorrow? You have enough trouble to deal with. Why are you spending your time and energy worrying or fixating about something that may never happen, something that may never come? We must deal with things as they come because trouble is a part of life, is a part of a fallen world. Man is born to trouble as sparks fly upward, the psalmist once said. So Jesus is saying there's no sense in speculating what trouble may come. And guys, how many of you guys are like, prone to do that? Right? Like You worry about every worst case scenario and what if this happens and this happens and then this happens and this happens. And how many times does that actually happen like that? Sometimes it does. Don't get me wrong. You know, some people out there be like, oh, you don't know, Lawrence. If I didn't plan for that worst case scenario, I'm not, I'm not saying don't plan ahead. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying is that we often fixate, held immobile, paralyzed, and concern ourselves so much with something that may never happen. And she's just saying, Today, enough. Face what you have today. Your energy should be given to what could, what is happening, not what could happen. We need trust in God's providence because the key to Jesus' argument is the phrase, your Father who is in heaven. Your Father who is in heaven knows what you need and when we realize that, when we realize our Heavenly Father knows our needs and He provides for their needs when we trust in that, there is no weapon or there's no, nothing that can lead us and drive us away from Him. Second truth I want us to understand as we, first truth that we need to wage war against war and anxieties too, is that our chief purpose needs to be God's kingdom. He addresses to the truth that we must make our, our prime ambition, our first purpose, our chief end, our most important desire and motive in life is God's kingdom. Verse 33 says, therefore I tell you, um, I put the wrong quote in my scripture here. Never mind. Okay. Well, what, he said, what Jesus is saying, when you're dealing with worry, stop and ask yourself, what am I seeking in life? What's the most important thing to me? Am I seeking God's kingdom? Am I desiring to see the holiness of God 
in me and moved in me by grace and lived out through the practical relations with my neighbors and my friends and my coworkers? Is that what I want? Do I, do, I, do I want to see God's glory manifest? Do I want people to fall in love with his beauty? Do I want to see people see transformed lives? Do I care more about his kingdom than I do about everything else? And I don't need to worry about that because nobody can take heaven away from me. Nobody can take my relationship with God away from me and nothing and no power on this earth or in heaven or under the earth could ever stop the advancing of his kingdom. What cause have I to worry if that's what I first and foremost care the most about? And I want you to notice the order. He says we're to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness first. He's saying there are other many responsibilities in your life that you need to do. There are many legitimate desires. You may desire to pursue a hobby. You may desire to pursue a relationship, a, a sport, a recreation, a vocation. Those are all good things, but it's not first thing. We need to first seek God's kingdom. And it sh- does it show? Does that decision show in our choices? Does it show with what we do with our resources, with our time, and with our money? Are we really seeking God first with what we do? And does it show? Do we really show that he is first in our lives with what is important to us, with what we value? And when we worry, it's a sign that perhaps our priorities have gotten out of order. Or perhaps they never were in order. You see, when we worry about everything else, it shows that maybe that our priority isn't first his kingdom. Can I tell you something? This is going to be hard for Western American Christians to hear. This is hard for Lawrence to hear is that God's priority isn't your comfort. It's his kingdom. And if your priority is his kingdom, then what we worry about shouldn't be our comfort. But why is it that when we ask people, when I evaluate my own heart, when I look at what I worry the most about, has a lot to do with my comfort, my needs. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, the cure for anxiety is recognized that the Heavenly Father knows and sees and understands our lives. He cares for us and so we can give ourselves over to the cause of his kingdom, not worrying that we'll be provided for because we know that he provides for us. Back in the day, um, I did youth ministry, and while I was doing youth ministry, I took a bunch of youth um, and a bunch of leaders on a trip to Uganda. And it was an incredible trip, it was, it was amazing, but it was so incredibly stressful for me. I'm just going to be honest with you, I think I aged 10 years in two weeks. You know, it was just rough. Taking high schoolers and a few adult leaders through visas and planes and airports and navigating through living situations and, you know, getting robbed and like, just all sorts of crazy stuff happened. And it was so stressful. And it was a wonderful, incredible time. And God did so many things, wonderful time through it. But, oh my gosh, it was so stressful. And I remember when I got back home, I overheard one of the parents asking the youth, you know, was it stressful? Was it difficult? Were you worried at all on your trip? And a youth with confidence only a teenager could have responded back with like, No. Are you kidding? It was so easy. Not even a little bit was I worried. I had, I had just peace and there was no nervousness, no anxiety. The parent was a little shocked. Why not? I mean, you've never been out of the country before. You've never used a passport. You've never traveled so far. How weren't you worried about getting lost or knowing where to go at the airport, the gates or whatever? And the youth just goes, no, I wasn't worried. Lawrence was there. And I remember being like, huh. See, that kid didn't have to worry because somebody else was worrying about it. 
That kid was like, this is awesome. We're in a backpack looking around. This is great. Because Lawrence was stressed out of his mind. The situation is stressful and difficult, but the youth didn't worry because the youth had a stupid confidence in me. We wasn't well placed. How much more then do we not need to worry because we have an intelligent confidence in the God who takes care of all our worries? You see, we're on a trip ourselves. We're just like those youth. Our trip might be a little longer. It might be our lifelong, but God's taking us somewhere. He's called us to a trip. He's called us to a purpose. He's called us to a life after his kingdom, and he's got it. He's taking care of it. He's managing the difficult stuff. He just wants you to go on this trip and seek his kingdom first. What worry do we have? Because he's taking care of it. Does that make sense? We can abandon ourselves into his care and give everything for him because we know that in all things will be provided for us in the here and in the after if we will just trust in him. If we'll just trust in him. This is not saying your troubles will go away. This is not saying you will not have any problems. It's saying where are your priorities and worry is an opportunity. Anxiety now is going to be an opportunity as we wage war in it with truth and trust to evaluate a heart and say, God, make us more like you, Jesus, because we're struggling with it. So today with you, as you're evaluating and looking at your heart, as you're looking at your issues of trust and submission and worldliness, as you wage war against it, may you Ask God to say, God, will you now, as I'm realizing, may you teach me to trust. Will you teach me to give up, to make you king, and will you teach me to, to go against worldliness? Because I choose to trust in you. Waypoint, we're going to continue this time by having a video testimony, talking with a member of our church, um, deal, how they dealt with and are dealing with anxiety and worry. Hi, Waypoint Church. We're going to continue with giving of the message today uh, with a testimony from Stacy. I invited Stacy here because um, just knowing her story, I felt like she could speak into this idea of fighting and facing anxiety in our lives. So, really quickly, Stacy, would you mind introducing yourself? Yes. Um, I, my name is Stacy Green, and my husband is an elder here at Waypoint Church. His name is David. Um, we've been here at Waypoint Church since. The, it was an idea on stage at the summit with Lawrence. And um, we have three children. Um, my oldest is 11, named Desmond. Uh, Kaylin, who is nine, and Isaac, who is six. I can't believe they're 11, nine, and six. They're so old. When did that <laughs> Isaac happen? Isaac was the first waypoint baby. I know. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're here, Stacey. And um, I invited you here for a reason. Specifically, I, um, we wanted to hear a little bit about your experience in dealing with fear and anxiety. So would you mind sharing a little bit of that? Sure. Um, I just want to back up a little bit because uh, in my 20s, I was a very adventurous person. I traveled the world. Um, I did a lot of missions kind of things. I um, wasn't afraid Hardly at all, because <laughs> I had a very good understanding of who I was in God um, and who he had made me to be and kind of a good idea of what my purpose was. But I moved to China in 2005, uh, felt called to be an art teacher there, and um, just noticed that I just wasn't feeling as good as I had used, was used to feeling, um, couldn't do my running anymore, things like that. Um, and my health kind of slowly started to decline. I moved back to the States um, in 2006 and met my husband and we got married. Um, and then 
we were expecting our first child and um, unfortunately we lost that baby. And I think for the first time, um, I felt fear kind of creeping in and anxiety. And I, I, for the first time I was like, what has happened? I thought God was going to protect me. <laughs> and I just had this uh, moment um, where I realized um, I, I had kind of, I was angry at God for allowing that to happen. Uh -huh. And I kind of let bitterness come into my life a little bit and kind of pushed him away. And that is the first, uh, my first experience with dealing with fear and anxiety kind of as that moment, as I pushed God away, it kind of allowed fear and anxiety to kind of come in uh -huh. to my life. And then you further, um, throughout going on in your story in your life, that's became a, a theme for you is battling fear and anxiety. What, 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 that, what kind of shape did that take in your life? Well, I, uh, I battle chronic illness, um, and with chronic illness, there is a lot of uncertainty. Um, there's a lot of unknown, um, a lot of just kind of waiting for the next, you know, bad news <laughs> to kind of drop. Um, and just also just not understanding exactly what's happening um, or why things aren't working the way that you think they should be working. And so some of the ways that showed up for me um, it's just, I just started to withdraw, um, just kind of started to come into my own little bubble and kind of keeping everybody on the outside. Um, I uh, would just get these panic attacks where I would just be frozen or paralyzed, um, just not understanding. I'd just cry. Um, depression, of course. Um, but it would kind of come and go, you know, and... Um, until I started to really decide that I was going to um, tackle a bunch of, there's different aspects to fear, you know, so there's, um, there's the emotional aspect, um, there's physical aspect, how it shows up in your body, and sometimes even fear or anxiety can come from like an imbalance or something like right. that. But then there's a spiritual aspect, and when I really decided to address the spiritual aspect of fear, that's when I started to see a change. Wow. So what changed, what led to some of these changes, and what are some of these changes and these practices that you've started doing to help address the spiritual fear? Okay, well... Um, some of the things that I first started doing because I didn't, uh, I couldn't even get into the word very easily. Um, I just started texting people, <laughs> texting people at the church or texting my friends and saying, please, can you pray for me? Um, I'm really afraid right now or I'm battling fear right now or I'm afraid of what's going on. Um, and then started talking to people about it because I think a lot of times with the withdrawal, People didn't know that I was dealing with it. And um, some other things that I did was I just started to get into the Word. And I actually just decided to do a study on fear. Um, because fear shows up like 365 times in the Bible. And a lot of time, most of the time is God telling us not to be afraid or not to fear. Um, and when you're in fear and anxiety, that's something that's not so easy to just do. <laughs> you can't just decide, I'm not going to be afraid. Right. Um, so part of that study of fear was looking into the promises that God has for me, mm. um, that God promises me peace, 
or promises that he will be with me when I'm afraid mm. and that he, um, that he promises to watch out for us and provide for us and that kind of stuff. So that's some of the things that God's been teaching. What else has God been teaching you when it comes to fear and anxiety? Oh, lots of things. Um, I really love the song by Zach, uh, I think, yeah, Zach Williams, The Fear is a Liar, uh, because it's so very true. Uh, because fear, the acronym for fear is um, false evidence appearing real. Mm, and just from reading lots of books from other people that have struggled with chronic illness, um, this is a common thing for people because the anxiety that comes along with that. But also just, um, just realizing, um, I was going to read a quote here from Timothy Jennings. And um, it says, Our brain has only two motivational fuels, love and fear. Perfect love casts out fear. When we allow fear to run rampant in our lives, we open the door to a cascade of inflammation in our bodies. Fear significantly affects our health, decision-making ability, and our perspective. Mm. And I just got this image, um, you know, how the Bible, like you talk about the lion being like a, a roaring lion seeking to devour, and we always think that's Satan, you know, he's the lion. But I got this image actually that we are the lions and that Satan is just a cowering hyena kind of trying to, trying to intimidate us. And that's kind of what fear is. You know, we actually have a lot of power as Christians, a lot of promises that God has given us that we can fight back fear and anxiety with. And, those, and some of that are things that he wants us to do to take care of our bodies, to move our bodies, that kind of thing, to breathe. Those are just things that deal with the physical. We've seen a therapist. That's things that deal with the physical, their emotional. But I do think that fear is um, also has a spiritual Absolutely. component and it's definitely important to get into the word of God to, to battle it so I love that acronym the false uh, false evidence false evidence appearing real. real you know that's what happens in fear is that God doesn't care for you mm-hmm. you're on your own you know you're alone that's what fear does these are false evidence that appears real to us in the moments that we feel them but what we combat them what you're saying is you combat them with truth yeah. With the promises. Yeah. You know, so that's what shuts down false evidence is truth. Mm-hmm. You know, so I love that. I love that activist. Thank you for sharing with that with us. What are some of the things that helps you daily in this battle with fear and anxiety? Um, that's a good question. Um, some of the things that I currently do, um, I uh, do a lot of stretching. I do a lot of um, kind of meditating in the Word of God. Mm. I, do, I have lists highlighted in my app of all the things of verses about fear. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can go into those, um, but also just reaching out to people. Um, if I'm struggling right. um, to let them know that I'm struggling, um, not necessarily that they can do anything, but they can pray. Yeah. Um, or sometimes people, um, reach out to me and I, you know, go be with them in person. And yeah. sometimes just being with another person in like with them, really makes a difference, yeah, you know. Absolutely. So it's something beautiful about community, I think, that reminds us of the truth, mm-hmm. right? Sometimes we get caught up in everything in the world and everything that goes around us, and we think that's the most important thing. That's false evidence. Mm-hmm. But being in the community of God who wants a fellowship of believers, we're reminded of what is true and what is mm-hmm. good. And so that helps us 
to, to fight off fear and anxiety because we're surrounded by people who are reminding us of what is true to offset the false evidence. Yeah, because when you're isolated, That's right. it's very easy for the enemy to attack you. That's right. And you don't have no other voices to say, no, that's not true. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Back to your light imagery. I love the, the idea of what happens when the herd is together, it's safer, mm-hmm. right? But with that stray calf or the stray animal gets away from the herd, it's easier for the lion to pounce on them, right? Mm-hmm. So very much promoting this idea of community in the midst of fighting anxiety. Most people don't think that way, right? They think it's a mm-hmm. personal battle. You just have to... Suffer through. Yeah, suck it up for her. Yeah. <laughs> be strong. Yeah, be strong. And guys, can I tell you this? That the Bible doesn't say you be strong in your own mind and your own ability to fight fear and anxiety. The Bible gives you the spirit. He gives you his promises and he gives you the community. So fight together so that we're stronger together. Stacey, thank you so much for making us stronger together. Thank you for sharing your heart and your story so that we can help you and you can also help us. And your testimony is a word that encourages those who are struggling with fear and anxiety. Not that it's over, (laughs) not that it's never going to happen again, Mm -hmm. but you have the weapons to fight it with and that God will see you through it. Mm -hmm. Any words that you want to leave us with, Stacey? Um, I just want to read a passage that I think really speaks about just fear, but then also that we don't really have to Please. be afraid. Um, this is from this is from Psalms 91, 1 through 13. You who sit down in the high God's presence, spend the night in Shaddai's shadow, say this, God, you are my refuge. I trust in you and I'm safe. That's right. He rescues you from hidden traps, shields you from deadly hazards. His huge outstretched arms protect you. Under them you are perfectly safe. His arms fend off all harm. Fear nothing. Not the wild wolves in the night. Not flying airs in the day. Not disease that prowls through the darkness. Not disaster that erupts at high noon. Even though others succumb all around you, drop like flies left to right. No harm will graze you. You will stand untouched. Watch it all from a distance. Watch the wicked turn to corpse. Yes, because God's your refuge, the high God, your very own home, evil can't get close to you. Harm can't get through the door. He ordered his angels to guard you wherever you go. If you stumble, they'll catch you. Your job, their job is to keep you from falling. You'll walk unharmed among lions and snakes and kick young lions and serpents from the path. Thank you so much for that, Stacey. Thank you for sharing with us. Whitepoint Church, may we continue to fight this fight together. Whitepoint, as we face fear and anxiety and worry with truth and with trust, may we do this together as a project that God's called us to as a church body. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us, for being our good, good Father. We ask, Lord, that you help us to examine our hearts, that you send your spirit to move in our hearts so that we can examine our priorities, learn to trust in you, submit to your will, God, and learn to to fight and say no to worldliness. May we seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We want to be about the business of, of seeing your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So I pray, Lord, that your spirit moves in us to make us more like Christ. Help us to fight fear and anxiety with your truth, God, with your love, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.